0: Have you ever felt that it's tough to be a Christian? Well, for believers around the world, following Christ can mean a lot of different things. Some live in active, hostile, and political climates. Others experience social pressure from family and friends for their faith. But wherever we live, it's not easy to live lives of grace when we're under pressure. Well, welcome friends to Global Awareness Week 2019. In the first week of November, 18 partners leading 12 different ministries serving in New England and eight nations around the globe will be part of our Grace Chapel community. Please welcome them warmly as our partners help us to better understand what it means to live lives of grace under pressure. Jamie and Mimi Taylor. Jamie is our keynote speaker for this year's Global Awareness Week. Jamie and Mimi serve as leaders of Oversee Missionary Fellowship's Church Missions Ministries. CMM equips leaders, empowers churches, and engages in cross-cultural missions. Mimi uses her musical talents in local churches, and Jamie speaks worldwide about missions and evangelism. Rev. Jamie is the great-great-grandson of J. Hudson Taylor, founder of the China Inland Mission, which is now OMF International. George Shavani Kammanil. In 1986, the Lord called George and Leela Shavani Kammanil to North India to pioneer a theological seminary to train the Indian nationals. New Theological College in Dehradun, India started with 22 students, and now it's the largest seminary in North India with over 3,000 alumni. They also lead a church planting movement and a number of ministries that serve needy children and women. Married for 46 years, Uncle George and Auntie Leela have two grown sons and seven grandchildren. Dina Elmasari. Blessed to be born in a Christian family, during her early teen years, Dina made a decision to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Since graduating from university in economics, Dina has been working in the area of fundraising and proposal report writing. She's part of a team, Josor Bridges of Hope, ministering in the Middle East and North Africa region. Pastor Vitali serves as the senior pastor of Jesus Savior Church in Kisenau, Moldova. Planted shortly after the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1990, Jesus Savior Church has 1,500 members. Vitaly also teaches New Testament at a seminary in Kisanel. Married to Larissa for 27 years, they have a married young adult daughter and have recently welcomed into their lives their first grandson. Rafik Makram Khalil. Trained as a mechanical engineer, Rafik has been involved in missions for 20 years. With his wife, Myrna, and two sons, Rafiq is passionate about planting churches among the unreached and empowering local churches. Josur Bridges of Hope sends missionaries and equips churches to respond to the emerging needs of Arabic-speaking nations. Ram Kumar Sharad Mama Ram leads NBCBS, which is the IFES in Nepal, a ministry that reaches high school and university students with the gospel. It focuses on leadership development, evangelism, and discipleship. Sharad got involved with student ministry in 1997 as a student leader and volunteer. He and his wife, Sanjana, both grew up in families that practiced Buddhism and shamanism. They've been married 22 years and have two adult children.
1: Good morning. It's a special joy to be back here at Grace Chapel and to be a part of the Global Awareness Week, and I want to especially thank Jeanette and her team, the way that they have, as well as the church, has welcomed partners that the church supports around the world. It's a special joy for us to be here with you this week, and we very much value the partnership that we can have in the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Mimi and myself uh, were very thankful for nearly the last 30 years of partnership with Grace Chapel, uh, dating all the way back to Paul Borthwick's time as our mission pastor. And incidentally, very interestingly, Paul Borthwick is preaching at the church that I used to serve at this Sunday at the Chinese Bible Church of Greater Boston, which is in Lexington as well, and so I'm not sure we're exactly exchanging pulpits here, but uh, I thought it was very interesting. He's preaching at the church that I served at, where Mimi and I met, and, uh, and I have the joy together with our family to be here with you today. Uh, actually, Uh, I often use Grace Chapel's example of commitment to the Great Commission in some of our training in Asia, especially working with churches on how churches can also become more global, more missional-minded in their work. And one of the examples I use of Grace Chapel is when Grace Chapel built this extension to our Lexington campus, uh, I still remember it vividly, getting a letter, getting an email, uh, and I think it was from Jeanette, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it was from Paul. But I remember uh, in the email uh, being told that as the elders were paying for praying together for the cost of this extension, Uh, And the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ here in Lexington and in the greater Boston area, one of the things that the Lord laid on their heart is that, well, spending that money here locally, their desire was... And their conviction was we also need to contribute to the global furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if I wasn't mistaken or I'm not mistaken, they actually tithed. They gave 10% of the building project and devoted it solely for missions. And uh, Mimi and I, as well as OMF, the organization that we serve with, uh, we had the privilege of submitting a... couple of proposals that the church then was able to support as we serve in Asia. And so it's a great joy to, to be back here with you uh, over these last few days and into this coming, coming week. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, if you turn together with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the 24th chapter, And we want to look at some 12 verses in the short time that we have. Incidentally, I usually preach in Chinese, and I preach in Chinese churches. And any sermon that is less than an hour, something's wrong with the preacher. Uh, And that's not going to work here, obviously. I think I have 25 minutes uh, to get through a three-point sermon that usually takes me an hour. Uh, But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Gospel of Matthew chapter 24, and here beginning in verse 3, this is what Matthew records for us, a sermon spoken by Jesus to his disciples nearly at the very end of his ministry. And this is what Matthew says, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him, that is, they came to Jesus privately saying, tell us. When all these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And you will be frightened, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see that you are not frightened. For these things must take place, but that is not yet the end. Nations will rise up against nations, and kingdoms against kingdoms, and various places there will be famines and earthquakes. Verse 8 goes on to say, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Verse 9, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and will will deliver up one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because of lawlessness and the increase of lawlessness, most people's love will grow cold. What a description of the world that we live in today, isn't that? The increase of lawlessness, the love of many, will grow cold. But the one who endears to the end, he shall be saved. And then notice with me verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. The title of my message this morning is occupied until he returns. Occupied, to be busy, to be busy about the master's business until Jesus is second coming. I'm sure many of us who are familiar with Massachusetts will be familiar with Northfield and Mount Hermon. It is actually the home of Dwight L. Moody, who was one of the greatest evangelists in church history. God greatly used Dwight L. Moody, especially in the 19th century, not only in the United States, but across the Atlantic in Great Britain. God gave Dwight L. Moody a special burden for college students. And so one of the things that Dwight L. Moody did was, every summer he would invite college students to his home in Mount Hermon. And for a month, he would invite different speakers to come and speak to these young people, these college students. It was in 1886 that amongst the speakers that Dwight L. Moody invited was a pastor by the name of Arthur Pearson. Probably very few of us, if any at all, have ever heard of this person. It's unfortunate actually because he was greatly used by God here in the United States in the early part of the 20th century in the promotion of global missions. Arthur Pearson was invited to come and speak to these 252 students. Moody gave him two subjects that he would like Arthur Pearson to speak on. The first one was on eschatology, which is just a fancy word describing the end of the age and the return of Jesus Christ, eschatology. He wanted Arthur Pearson to talk about eschatology, but he also asked Arthur Pearson to talk about missiology, to talk about missions, and to help these young college students have a vision for what God could do through them in the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so those were the two topics that Arthur Pearson spoke about. He talked about eschatology, and he talked about missiology. Now, it's unfortunate we do not have a record of what he exactly covered in that time that he was with those students, those 252 students. But what we do have, I believe, is a sense that probably in the verses and in the passage that we just read, these 12 verses surely must have been a part of Arthur Pearson's message to those young people, especially verse 14. Where here we'd say Jesus giving that clear command to his disciples to take the gospel to be a witness to all the nations, and then the end would come. Well, this morning, or this noon, we certainly don't have time to look at these 12 verses in depth. I want to just look with you very quickly at three things and focus primarily on the last thing. But I want to, first of all, focus on... Jesus' emphasis to his disciples, his exhortation to his disciples to be diligent in the faith. To be diligent in the faith. If you notice, just as we were reading through this passage, this word misleads actually appears several times. It appears in the fourth verse. It appears in the fifth verse. And it again appears in the 11th verse. And here in these verses, Jesus warns his disciples that as his return draws near, that there will be many false prophets, that there will be people who come forward and say, I am the Christ, I am the savior of the world. And they will mislead many, many people. And in fact, if we were to read further down into this sermon that Jesus gave, he also said that these false prophets will perform miracles. And in fact, they might even mislead those who believe in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus tells them, he warns them of the fact that as that end time arrives, that there will be these false prophets, there will be these false messiahs that will come forward and that they will mislead people to believe falsehood. And I believe, brothers and sisters, as we look at the world that we live in today, that is very, very prevalent. Right across the world, we will see many, many cults, many, many heresies, many, many false religions, many, many people who are proclaiming a false message and they are misleading many, many people. Just within the sphere of what Mimi and I, my wife, are involved in, in working amongst the Chinese church. Over these last few years, one of the most difficult challenges for the church, the Chinese church, especially in Asia, is a cult, is a heresy that calls itself lightning from the east. It comes out of actually China, the central province of Henan, the central province Henan. And here a person, actually a woman, has come forward and said she is the second Messiah. She said God is a righteous God, so the first Messiah was a male, therefore to show his righteousness, the second Messiah, or the Messiah's will return, will be in a female form. And that has been the wreckage, the shipwreck of many, many people in the Chinese church today. And Jesus warns us, brothers and sisters, to be diligent in the faith, to be diligent in the faith. And I think there are three things that will help us in that diligence. See. Three simple things, yet very profound, very important things. First of all, Scripture helps us to be diligent. That we examine all things, including what Jamie Taylor says this morning. We examine all things according to Scripture. Not only do we need Scripture to help us to be diligent, we also need the Holy Spirit, that Spirit of truth, to enable us to be diligent. But then we also need the saints, don't we? We need the church, not only Grace Chapel, but we need the church of 2,000 years to help us to be diligent in guarding the faith that was once entrusted to the church. And so Jesus, first of all, calls upon us to be diligent, to be diligent. But secondly, very quickly, not only to be diligent about the faith, but also to be determined about the faith to be determined about the faith. And if you were to go back to these 12 verses that we read, you will see that Jesus highlights, I think, at least four different things that we need to be diligent about or we need to be determined about. He first of all tells us that as the end draws near, as Jesus' second coming, that earthquakes and natural disasters will will, 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 will take place with increasing frequency. Not only will natural disasters uh, be prevalent, but he also goes on to talk about human tragedy. He talks about wars. He talks about uh, rumors of wars. I studied history in college, and I'll never forget the first history lesson that I had. The history professor told us that just in the 20th century, the first 70 years of the 20th century, there were more wars than there were the previous 20 20 centuries. Just in the beginning 70 years of the 20th century, there were more wars than the previous 20 centuries put together. And Jesus tells us that there will be not only natural disasters, but there will also be human tragedy. He goes on to speak of moral decadence and we highlighted that as we were reading through the scripture where he talks about the increase of lawlessness and how the hearts of many people grow cold and what a description of the world that we live in today. Well then certainly he goes on to tell us not only of those natural disasters, those human tragedies, that human decadence But he also speaks of religious persecution in these verses as well. There in verse 9, this is what he says. They will deliver you, that is disciples, followers of Jesus. They will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations on account of me. Do you know what today is? November 3rd. But do you know that today is also the day that we mark the international day of prayer for the persecuted church? As we worship here so freely, we're mindful of the fact that around the world today there are many, many places, many, many believers, followers of Jesus Christ who cannot worship in the same kind of freedom that you and I worship here this morning at And that's really the background of our theme for this conference, Grace Under Pressure. I hope none of you came thinking something happened at Grace Chapel and we're under pressure. Well, I hope we are under pressure, Janine. I hope we're under the pressure of the Holy Spirit. Persecution. Just over the last year, and statistics in my experience have been far lower than reality, but just in the last year, 1,837 churches have been attacked or destroyed. Over the last year, 3,150 Christians have been arrested and detained. Over 4,000 brothers and sisters in Christ have paid the ultimate cost of following Jesus Christ, the giving of their life. It's interesting as Jesus speaks of these natural disasters, these human tragedies, this moral decadence and this religious persecution. He actually describes it in verse verse 8 this way. He says, All these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs, of contractions. And I remember so well Mimi... My wife giving birth to our three children. Two of them were born here in the Boston area. And I had the joy of being uh, by her side at the birth of all three of our children. And I had the special privilege of cutting their umbilical cord. And if you are a father-to-be or somewhere down the road, I pray that you would put that on your list of things that to, to do. To be there by your wife's side. And to be able to cut that umbilical cord. But I remember Mimi in her labor, in those contractions, in those birth pains. Initially, the, 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 the time between each contraction was, was a long period of time, and, and the pain was not, not as great. But as, as birth came to, to that point in time where she was going to give birth to a child, uh, our children, that the contractions and the severity and the pain of those contractions increased and the span between each contraction shortened. And that's the description that Jesus gives to us here when he speaks of natural disasters, when he speaks of human tragedy, when he speaks of moral decadence as he speaks of religious persecution. And what are we to do in the midst of that? Jesus tells us that we are to be determined. That we are not to be discouraged. We are not to be dismayed. We are not to be in despair. We are not to be distracted, but rather we are to be determined, determined in our faith. And so, first of all, Jesus calls upon us to be diligent in the faith. Secondly, he calls upon us to be determined in the faith, even in the midst of these difficulties that we have highlighted. But then thirdly, very quickly, Not only to be diligent in the faith, not only to be determined in the faith, but also to declare the faith, to declare the faith. And, And that's verse 14, isn't it? Here Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all nations, and then the end shall come. Just look with me very briefly at four things that I think are found in this one verse. First of all, I think we see the mandate, the mandate for missions, the mandate to take the gospel to the whole world, to all the nations. Do you know that there are some 7,000, what we would call today, yet unreached people groups around the world, 7,000 different people groups who have never once heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Mimi and I, last December, had the privilege, the joy, of going to Nepal, an area, a country that actually, Grace Chapel, we are very committed to journey with the church there. And we praise God for that commitment. While we were there, we had the opportunity, the privilege of meeting a Nepalese pastor one afternoon, and he shared with us that in that whole Himalaya region of the world, from Bhutan to Nepal, from Nepal to Bangladesh, to India, to Pakistan, to Afghanistan. He said there are close to 60 million people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. 60 million, think of that, who have not yet once heard the name of Jesus. And he shared with us of how the Lord laid upon his heart to, in, in, before 2030, just 10 years from now, that by God's grace, he would be able to see, together with his team and other churches, would be able to see 10,000 churches come into being the mandate for missions. And maybe in some sense, brothers and sisters, here in the West, we need to see this mandate afresh because the time that you live in, the times that we live in is a time of relativism and when missions is, is discouraged at times, thinking that, well, I don't want to trouble other people in their religions and in their faiths. After all, all roads lead to Rome. Well, that's at least what they seem to want us to believe. But the mandate for missions, brothers and sisters, the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be preached in the whole world. So there's the mandate for missions. Very quickly, there's also the method for missions. And Jesus uses two words here. He uses the word preach, and he uses the word witness. And I I think within that, we see two important dynamics. Preaching is the verbal proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe witness brings another shade to it, and that is that we use our lives to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Could I just share a very simple illustration of how this takes place? In my missionary career in Taiwan, I remember one time I was going from Taichung to Taipei. from the central part of Taiwan to the northern part of Taiwan. I didn't have a car back then. Actually, I wasn't even married back then. And so I took the bus, the highway bus. And I sort of had a quirkiness about where I sat on the bus. I always wanted to sit right be, behind the driver. And so even if there were still seats on the bus, I wouldn't get on if the two seats right behind the driver were occupied. I would wait for the next bus. Or I would wait for the bus after that. I'm sure my wife was so thankful I got over that quirkiness. But I'll never forget that day when I got on that bus. That driver was entirely different than any driver I had ever seen before. His courtesy and the way that he, he gave attention to each one getting onto the bus, he welcomed each one onto the bus and he, and he told them to quickly find a seat and to, and to put their things away because we were going to get on the road almost immediately. And I sat there as person, passenger after passenger got on the bus and, and it suddenly struck me. I bet you he's a Christian. I bet you he's a Christian. And so we took off, he backed out of the bus stop and even though it says don't speak to the driver, I was an American so I couldn't read Chinese. And so I tapped him on his shoulder, he turned to me and I said, don't turn around. And I asked him this question, I said, I just wanna ask you this, are you a Christian? And he responded by saying, how did you know? And I told him, I can see it, I can see it. So the method of missions, not only the verbal proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the witness of your life and my life and brothers and sisters, that does not start when we get on an airplane and fly halfway around the world. That starts right here at our very doorstep because missions actually is from our doorstep to the ends of the world and so, Jesus speaks of the mandate of missions. Jesus speaks of the method for missions. Thirdly, he speaks of the message of missions, doesn't he? Here he speaks of the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. And surely if you're familiar with the book of Matthew, you'll know that this theme gospel, or sorry, this theme kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is a pivotal uh, truth found within the Gospel of Matthew. And it reminds us of the fact, brothers and sisters, that the Gospel of Jesus Christ is not only about Jesus as our Savior, the Gospel of Jesus Christ is also about the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our life, the kingship of Jesus Christ in our lives. Do you remember those two pivotal questions that the Apostle Paul at his conversion asked Jesus? Probably the two most important questions that we can find in Scripture. The first is, Lord, who are you? And secondly, Lord, what do you want me to do? The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message of salvation. It is a message of the lordship in your life and in my life. And if I can use the words of my great-great-grandfather, Hudson Taylor, and this is what he said in an article that he wrote in the missionary periodical of the China Inland Mission. He said in one article that if Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. If Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, he is not Lord. And so the message of Jesus Christ, but then very quickly, not only that mandate, not only that method, not only that message, but the motivation, for here at the very end of verse 14, we're told, the end shall come. And so may the Lord enable us to be occupied until his return, to be busy about the work of the Lord. Until he returns. Well, I neglected to tell you a fact about Arthur Pearson's messages on eschatology and on missiology in 1886 in Mount Hermon, Northfield, Massachusetts. 252 college students gathered that summer, that month. And at the last service, Arthur Pearson felt a call in his heart, an urging in his heart to extend an invitation, to extend a challenge to those 252 college students to dedicate themselves to global missions. And so he gave that call. And would you believe it, out of those 252 young people, 100 stood up. We have since referred to them as the Mount Hermon hundreds the Mount Hermon 100, 100 stood up and dedicated themselves to global missions. They became the beginning of what is then referred to as the student volunteer movement, a movement that spread literally across the world, mobilizing young people for missions. And I'm only sorry, Pastor Richard, most of our young people somehow disappeared. (laughs) after the worship time, but I trust that they went somewhere and they got a good message as well. (laughs) But my friends, brothers and sisters, my prayer is that the mission vision of our church, Grace Chapel, would not wane. And the Lord would find us occupied, diligent in the faith, determined in the faith, and declaring the faith. Father, we thank you for these moments that we have had this morning, this noon. Thank you for this church. Lord, thank you for the way that this church and the generosity of this church has touched so many lives, literally across the world. Lord, you've given us the amazing ministry of being a blessing to others as you have blessed us And Lord, in this year's Global Awareness Week, I pray that it would not only be awareness that we receive, but our hearts would be stirred afresh to the fulfillment of the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. Not forgetting, Father, that with people's movements, that mission field begins on our very doorstep. And right here in Lexington, right here in the greater Boston area, in Massachusetts, Lord, there are many, many opportunities for us to reach out to people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be diligent about the faith. You would help us in the midst of birth pangs and tragedies all around us. You would help us to be determined in the faith. And Lord, yes, I pray that you would help us to declare the faith. Declaring it, Father, not only with word, but with our lives. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise and the glory, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.